traditional marketing segmentation is dead. What should you replace it with and why is that going to be key to building true loyalty with your customers? You're listening to the Keep Optimizing Podcast to increase your traffic, improve your conversion rates and grow your profits. Hello and welcome. I'm Chloe Thomas, the host of this Marketing Focus podcast. If you're not familiar with our format, each month we focus on a different marketing method, this month loyalty, and each week I interview a different marketing method expert to explore the latest advice on making that work for you. This month, as I said, it's all about loyalty. So in today's episode, rather than getting tactical, we are exploring true loyalty, building meaningful connections with your customers, and we're doing Doing it with an absolute legend in the field and a best multi-bestselling author, consultant, and professor, Michael R. Solomon. If you've done a marketing or a business course or degree, you've almost certainly read at least one of his books. We're getting into why the ways we've historically segmented consumers is not working anymore and shouldn't be used, what you do to replace it. And he's sharing lots of great advice on how to build real solid loyalty with customers in the future. Loads of good things to get you thinking in this episode and lots that's going to help you build your business faster in the new world we're now entering. We're going to meet today's guest expert in a moment or two, but before we do, please take a listen to our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Klaviyo, the email and SMS marketing platform that helps you send messages like an e-commerce expert, even if you're just getting started. Create your free account at klaviyo.com slash masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Today, I'm chatting with loyalty expert Michael R. Solomon. Michael is a professor of marketing in Howe School of Business at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia, marketing consultant and author of multiple excellent books on consumer behavior, including his latest bestseller, The New Chameleons, How to Connect with Consumers Who Defy Categorization. Hello, Michael. Hello, Chloe. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, your books are superb, so I'm I'm really excited to be able to talk to you and share your message with a with an even wider audience. But before we get into the book, why did you decide to specialize in consumer behavior? Well, I was uh, originally trained as a social psychologist, um, and my students don't know this, but I've never taken a business course. Uh, my PhD is in psychology, but I. I realized very early on, actually, when I was looking for a topic for my PhD dissertation, that there was a, an enormous amount of research on, on uh, for example, people's appearance and how that influences um, how they feel about themselves, how others react to them, et cetera. But not a lot to do with everything kind of below the neck, you know, uh, the, the body, the, the, the things that we put on our body or in our body these days. And so um, I, I decided, uh, much to the chagrin of my professors, to do my dissertation on the psychology of fashion. And I became quite uh, totally taken with, with the topic. And, and over the years, I, I started to expand my focus um, just uh, from clothing to look at all kinds of products that are what we can think of as expressive products. That is, 
they help us to express who we are, who we want to be. And so uh, I was fortunate at the time when I was coming out of school that the, the, the discipline of consumer behavior was really just getting started. That's how old I am. And, uh, you know, I was able to kind of become one of the young Turks of the field that, that was able to, to extend it and to look at a lot of fascinating relationships between products and people. And, and that's not as esoteric as it sounds because it turns out that that most of our major motivations, at least for buying consumer products, relate to what the products really mean to us psychologically, what we refer to as the deep meanings of brands. And, and so uh, I've kind of never looked back from my original uh, training as a psychologist and now uh, as a consumer psychologist it allows me to to have one foot in the academic space and one foot in the applied space, which I also really enjoy. And so I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of companies over the years um, to help them to focus more on consumer psychology and to understand that just because they think they're saying something to their customers, that's not necessarily what people are hearing. Oh, and so frequently the case, if you just ask the customers, you discover they're hearing something completely different from from what you think. But I guess over the over the decades you've been in the space, Michael, it's changed a great deal, which I suppose is why you've ended up writing the new chameleon. So what what led you to to write this new book? Well, I you know I I got a lot of requests over the and certainly during the pandemic period, but even before that, I uh, when I do public speaking, which I do fairly often, uh, I started to get a lot of requests for as you might expect, changes or trends in consumer behavior. And as I began to think about that, I, I realized that many of the very, very basic fundamental categorization schemes that we use to, um, to try to understand our customers are not only obsolete, but they're actually counterproductive. And, I, and as I started to make a little list of these, I said, you know, this is really a pretty big phenomenon. And so I, I developed this notion or this metaphor of the new chameleons. And, and the reason for that is that, at, as you know, chameleons change their color in response to environmental changes, you know, predators in the area or something. And um, we as consumers change our colors as well, hopefully not due to predators, but changes in our identities, changes in the way we think about ourselves. So the modern consumer, especially younger people, but not just limited to younger people uh, today, are are probably not the same person that they were this morning when they got up. In, in the sense that that as we move around our lives, whether it's online or offline, we're, we're encountering new situations. We are playing certain roles, and we act differently in those roles. You know, it's just like uh, uh, you know. People like middle-aged people who go to visit their parents will will tell you, you know, when I stayed there that weekend, I felt like I was ten years old again, and I acted like, the, <laughs> you know, the good boy or the good girl. And so, in other words, in every in every situation, there's different cues for behavior, and importantly, there's different requirements for for products. And so, I started to uh, to develop these in the book, and essentially, uh, first, I'm making the case that traditional market segmentation where we just try to put lots of people into very broad categories and hope they all respond the same way. Uh, that's not nearly as useful as it used to be back in the last century when we were much more monolithic in our behaviors. 
and today we we really uh, have what what some people call a, a period of market fragmentation. Uh, others call it the postmodern period, and what that what that means is that those clear cut categories and boxes and labels no longer really work very well because we we are refusing those labels. We're we're throwing them off. We're saying, don't just put me into a category. I'm a very unique, diverse person. I have lots of interests, and and so it's actually counterproductive to think that just because you know two people both are uh, women in their 30s who live in the UK or what have you, that they're going to have the same preferences for music or food, etc. Uh, it just doesn't work today. And so we can, if you'd like, we can get into some of these basic categories, but but some of them are so fundamental that we don't even think about them again until we're forced to confront whether they're really valid. So for example, male versus female is one of those. And and I know uh, in the UK, just as here in, in the States, you know, there's an enormous amount of controversy about what it means to be male or female, or even if there is such a thing as a dichotomy between male and female, and many people aren't buying into that anymore. So that's that's just one example. And why is that a good opportunity? Well, it opens up new markets for people who understand that their customers are no longer hemmed in by that label. It does very much strike me that we're in a time, and that your book is highlighting this, in a time where there are there is a lot of change going on, which if we choose to, we can make great gains from in business, or we can just become overwhelmed by and lose it <laughs> in, in a yeah. manner of speaking. Yeah. So I suppose with with I guess actually I want to go go back a bit to almost the very first thing you put in the book, which for me, really illustrated this idea of the chameleon, which I think you you use the example of. Is I think is it Sophia, who you you know you're outlining and explaining this lady, this young lady called Sophia, and all the different things she does. I think early on, one of the bullets is that she dresses up like she's going raving, but she doesn't like smoky environments. I'm like, okay, I get that. And then I flip the page, and it's like, and she works for Chase Manhattan Bank. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. But I think you know that's kind of crazy. Then I thought, well, actually. If I think about how I am in different scenarios and how I think of how my friends are in different scenarios, we all have these different hats these days. And as a business to go, yeah, we want yummy mummies in their 30s who drive a Range Rover. It's just very, very kind of box thinking, isn't it? Well, I think it is, you know, and at, at the very least, what what you want to do, which, which some big companies are starting to do, is is to move toward what we can call occasion-based segmentation. So, in other words, uh, the recognition that there are certain occasions that that are linked to different brands, and so, uh, you know, for for your listeners in the UK, maybe, maybe it's a a party before a football match or going to a football match. Let's let's say. And so there are certain products there like snack products or let's say food products, uh, drinks, and et cetera, uh, certain kinds of clothing that would be linked to that, to that situation. So some of the uh, one, one very large company I know of um, that, that makes a lot of snack foods uh, has, in fact, divided their marketing team into occasions rather than, in, than by brand. So they're marketing things in terms of what's going on at the time. And, and I think that's a great first step. I, you know, there's more that you can do, but, but definitely you want to move beyond those traditional 
segmentation labels. Now, I, I want to emphasize I'm not saying throw them out completely, but they're more like a first step than they are a solution. Which makes so much sense to me. And you mentioned already about the fact that gender is a really tough one to work on. I think one of the others, which I which I thought resonated a lot, especially with, with the audience of this podcast, was the the how we buy, which I think a lot of us are still guilty in thinking that someone finds the need for a product, Googles it, clicks on our ad and purchases, or they're on Facebook and they see an ad, they click and they purchase. Because it's just not, even like the nuts and bolts of e-commerce are not that linear anymore, are they? No, I, I don't think so, and it's and it's really, I guess, a carryover from uh, you know bricks and mortar commerce. The, this illusion that people are going to walk into a store and suddenly fall in love with your product and and buy it. Uh, sure, that happens uh, now and then, but especially you know when I talk to my students, what what I see, and this is very unscientific, but you know they almost always tell me, well, by the time I go into a store, I already know exactly what it is. I'm just looking for the best price. Because what what's going on, and as I talk about in the book, we've, we've moved from a very linear decision sequence that we know very well for after many, many years of research uh, that where people move through certain set stages in making a decision where today we, we have more of what I call the, all, the always on consumer. And this is someone who's constantly, almost 24-7, uh, being bombarded by suggestions about what to buy, product reviews, and, and so on. And, and so retailers in particular really have to understand that that traditional sequence is, is no longer valid in many cases. And so one, one important implication is uh, if you're at, in that part of the marketing chain, uh, you know, at the retail level, whether online or offline, you, you need to be intervening in the decision process at a much earlier point. If you're waiting until the customer enters your store, the race has probably already started and you're you're going to be left behind. Yeah, we've we've discussed that a few times, I think, on the podcast around the need to to be part of the decision-making part of the journey of the do I need a new pair of shoes or I'm um, terrible example, Chloe, but we'll roll with it. Do I need a new pair of shoes or not? Before it's, I need green shoes. So you're you're there right from the very beginning. So there has to be a lot more content creation and so forth. Exactly, and it's all of these influencers um, and your and just your network who are the content creators the, these days. And so, uh, you know, one of the other dichotomies I talk about in the book quite a bit is the the false distinction between consumers of information, marketing messages, and producers of marketing messages. So in the old days, we always knew who the source of a message was. Today, it's far more likely and more likely to be persuasive if that message doesn't come from the company, but rather from another customer or someone who is in a position to evaluate these products. So that that equation has totally changed in the last 10 or 20 years. So with these these new chameleons, um, Michael, how does a brand go about building greater loyalty in its truest sense with their customers these days? Because it's not just a case of RFMing your, as in recency frequency monetary value, for those who are wondering what, I'm, what on earth I'm spouting about, it's not just a case of RFMing your highest value segment and sending them something. It's got to be a bit more than that nowadays, hasn't it? Yeah, well that, you know, you said the L word loyalty and, you know, that's that's a very that word has a lot of meanings, but one of them that I take away uh, that I focus on in my own work is is engagement. 
if, if you can engage the customer with your message, with your product, uh, for example, by, as we were just discussing, uh, by literally involving them in the production of your product or at least uh, listening to their ideas for improvements, et cetera. Engagement is the key to loyalty, in, in my opinion, because, you know, the, the reality is, and marketers hate to hear this, managers hate to hear this, but most consumers, when you, when you, you know, you line up, say, three or four brands in a category and you say, which is the best? You know what they often say? Oh, they're all pretty good. And and uh, every manager hates to hear that because we all know that our brand is, you know, is the best thing ever because we work on it night and day. And uh, but but the reality is that at least from an attributes perspective, consumers don't see many differences where they do see the differences is from a benefits perspective. That is a more intangible. What is the brand providing in my life that I don't have now? And that's where you see the importance, for example, of brand storytelling, where if you look at highly engaging brands, again, offline or online, you'll see, at least for consumer-facing products, that they are very rich in terms of their story, their background, the, the heroes of the brand, maybe uh, the villains, you know, wh whoever it is people are able to, to very quickly identify with them and say, yes, that's the kind of brand that I want in my life right now. It's not just a bag of bolts that I'm buying and taking home. It's something that's going to live with me. And so if you can create that kind of engagement, uh, and that's a big if, you know, but there are a lot of ways to do it. I'm actually developing a course right now on an engaging how to engage your customers with your brand. There's a, there are a number of ways to do it. The important thing is to do it in some way. Because otherwise, you become a commodity, and commodities can easily be replaced. You said about the, you know, there's lots of different ways to to engage with your with your customer. How early in the buying cycle should we be building that engagement to create the loyal customers? Because I mentioned the RFM piece earlier, and I think a lot of businesses wait until they've got someone who's bought a couple of times before trying to make them loyal. And it strikes me that process should probably start a little bit earlier? Uh, ideally, it should start right now. Um, put down your microphone and get started. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's, never a, there's never a bad time to get started. Uh, now, you know, having, having said that, starting with, with some loyal uh, or with some, I should say, frequent, frequent buyers uh, and turning them into loyal customers is definitely a very good idea. You know, one of the biggest drawbacks, I think, of a lot of marketing strategies is People have this understandable desire to keep adding new customers to their base. But the problem with that is that, uh, you know, it's far more expensive to attract a new customer than to keep an old one. By some estimates, about seven times as expensive. So it's hard to ignore the allure of having an enormous email list or something. But the reality is uh, some of your listeners may know of what we call the 80-20 rule which in marketing means that 80% of your revenues come from 20% of your customers as a rough rule of thumb. That's a very important thing to keep in mind because it, it reminds us that we, we want to kind of move away from the, the more superficial allure of those, of those less committed customers and, and focus more on making our existing base more loyal, which means that they in turn can become part of your sales force if you play it right. So they can become brand ambassadors for you. And there's nothing, there's nobody more passionate or more uh, convincing 
than a customer who has been wowed over by your brand. Far more convincing than you could ever be because you have an axe to grind there. So totally true. And I love the fact it kind of becomes that virtuous circle, doesn't it? If you if you give someone the right impression of your brand at the very beginning of the process, they're more likely to buy, they're more likely to become loyal in the end, and then they'll be giving the right impression back to people at the very beginning again. That's absolutely true. And it, you know, it's the same thing as with people, you know, there's the expression, uh, you, you never get a second chance to make a good first impression on a job interview or a date or what have you. So really products are a lot like people in the sense that we think that we think of them as having personalities. And if we don't like their personalities, we don't like them. You know, it's the same as with, with people, but if we do like them, we want all of our friends to meet them. Oh, so true. Well, look, thank you, Michael. We're going to pause now for a reminder of our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about the wider world of loyalty. Ready to turn your small e-commerce business into the next big thing? Klaviyo can help. It's the easy-to-use email and SMS platform that gives you everything you need to build genuine relationships with your customers. And even if you're new to marketing, Klaviyo can help you become an email expert. With drag-and-drop design templates, simple insights, and made-for-e-commerce reports and recommendations. Give it a try today with a free account at klaviyo.com masterplan. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash masterplan. Okay, Michael, so far we've gone deep into kind of building true loyalty with our customers and understanding these new chameleons. Now you get to wow us with your knowledge about the whole of loyalty. So for the following questions, your answers can be anything to do with loyalty, which strangely enough does include everything we've already been talking about. So Michael, are you ready for these? I'm as ready as I'm going to be. <laughs> That's all we need. Okay, uh, let's start with loyalty newbie advice. If we've inspired someone to take their first step with building loyalty with their customers, what do they need to know to give themselves the best chance of success? Well, I think what they need to know is that they have an idea in their mind of who their customers are that may or may not be accurate. And so the first thing is not to assume that you know your customers well enough to anticipate what they want. It's likely, very likely, that they are not the same as you are. And when one of the biggest mistakes that managers make, I think, is projecting their own preferences onto their customers and, and saying, oh, that's really gross. I wouldn't, I would never buy that. Well, you know, as we say, that's why they make chocolate and vanilla. People do have different preferences. And you may be marketing to a group of people who have nothing in common with, with you. So the best thing to do is just to get out there and, and at least validate your assumptions by talking to customers. Don't just sit in your office and say, I wonder if they would like this. Go out there and, and talk to them. You know, there's a, a business philosophy called management by walking around. And this is kind of marketing by walking around. You know, talk to your customers and you know what? Talk to your sales force if you have one. They're, they're often overlooked as well. They're in the trenches every day. They hear all the objections. They hear the good things and the bad things. You have so much marketing intelligence for free in your own backyard that a lot of, especially small businesses, don't take advantage of. I love that advice. Now, once you've started, of course, you've got to keep optimizing. So what's your favorite way to improve loyalty of your customers? Well, you, when you say keep optimizing, the implication is that you're getting feedback that compels you to optimize. So building in that feedback loop 
is not only important, it's it you literally could, couldn't do what you're advocating without it. And so in your world, that that might be data in terms of, of clicks or conversions or et cetera. But more broadly, what that what that means is, uh, you know, what are people really gravitating towards? What are they resonating? You know, what is what is grabbing them about, about those products? And really doing a deep dive into that. So again, you know, my answer to most of your questions, in in a way, is going to be the same: do more research. <laughs> but but what I love about that is that you were telling us earlier, you know, how important it is to engage with the customers, and running research projects with them and asking them questions, even if it's you know just putting something on Insta, you know, a poll on Insta, it helps build that engagement. So the actual analysis helps with the building of the loyalty. Yeah. Well, you know, Chloe, there's, here's a secret that's not so secret. Um, Everybody loves to be asked for their opinions. And when you ask someone what you're doing is validating your assessment that they have something valuable to say, right? Unless you're just being polite. Just the simple act of asking a customer, taking the time to do that. Sometimes consumers will say, wow, that, you know, that's the first company that ever really asked me how I was doing and how I was happy with the product, not just checking a box or something. So that is, that is definitely a very, very strong first step toward building an engaged customer. And, and again, you can bring them along that there's kind of a continuum from, you know, at one end, just asking someone what they think and at the other end where they literally become part of that, of the product development process or the message development process. And, you know, we refer to these people as co-creators. And so, you know, what I like to say is there, if you just change one small word in, uh, in a little phrase, you change your entire philosophy. So instead of marketing to your customers, you need to market with them to, to with very simple, but it, it, it's an entirely different perspective because they're not your adversaries and they're not your conquests. They are your partners. And it's a synergistic relationship. If you don't have customers, you don't have a company. And if customers don't have anything to buy, then they have a problem too. So everybody has a vested interest in in working together to make something that will be more valuable. More brilliant advice there. The next question I have to ask you then, Michael, is if someone listening wants to learn more about everything we've been talking about, is there one cheap or free resource you would recommend? Uh, sure. Well, if you go to my website, which is michaelsolomon.com, well, certainly you'll find information about my latest book, or you can go on Amazon uh, to find that. For something that's a little more immediate and 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 simple, there's actually on on the on the first page of the website, uh, you can download what I call a brand resonance audit, which is just a simple document that gives some examples of different ways that brands engage with their customers, different paths that they use to really grab the customer, not just by the wallet, but by the heart. So uh, just go on the website, scroll about halfway down the page, and and you'll see that. Excellent. So that was the Brand Resonance Audit at michaelsolomon.com. Scroll about halfway down the page and you will find it. Engaging, engaging, away we go. Um, Okay, Michael, finally, it's crystal ball time. What's coming up in the next six to 12 months that we should be getting ready for? Well, you know, I'm a little tired of talking about the pandemic, but... (laughs) 
Let, so let's try to avoid that. But but uh, obviously, uh, what the pandemic did was to accelerate various changes that were already happening. The, the pandemic didn't really cause too many changes other than maybe uh, elbow bumps instead of handshakes. But for example, the obviously the move toward online, uh, and of course, your listeners in the e-commerce area stand to, to gain from this. You know, there's we're still going to see more and more migration to online because uh, because what something like this does is it it I like to use the metaphor of an ice cube. It, usually, we're very frozen in place in terms of our habits and our brand preferences. When something like a pandemic or you know some global crisis uh, comes along, what it does is to unfreeze that ice cube, and that means that people are suddenly open to doing things in different ways. So you have a you have a brief window. Rest assured that that ice cube will refreeze in a different shape. Now the water's in a different shape, but it will refreeze, and when it does it will lock into place many of those new behaviors. So now is definitely the time to take advantage of people's need to uh, to shop online for as, as one example. And more and more people who would never have considered this for various reasons, either they're afraid of it or they don't trust it or you know whatever their reason is, are, are much more receptive to it now. So clearly that's going to be a big change. And coming along with that is the, the greater movement, as I'm sure you know very well, towards AI and uh, chatbots and automated marketing sequences et cetera. So uh, I think I think within the next year or two, we're, we're just going to see more tweaking of these technologies as everybody figures out that this is here to stay for, for quite a while. Excellent answer there. Well, look, Michael, we are very nearly at the end of the show. So could you please let the listeners know where they can find you and your book? Sure. Thank you. Uh, uh, again, my website is michaelsolomon.com. That's S-O-L-O-M-O-N, three O's. Dot com. Uh, uh, my book, The New Chameleons, is available on on Amazon or uh, or any major website where books are sold. And uh, if anyone wants to reach me, uh, you can get me at michael at michaelsolomon.com. Simple as that. Well, look, Michael, you have been a fantastic guest and you've given us all lots to think about and to push our businesses forward. So thank you so much for coming on the Keep Optimizing podcast today and being so generous, sharing your expertise with us all. Well, Chloe, thanks so much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. So there you have it. If you want to build that true loyalty, you've got to stop thinking about segments, start thinking about the customer behaviors, about the customer needs. Think about your customers as complex people with lots and lots of interests and potentially get into that occasion segments idea that Michael was talking about. I could see that resonating for a lot of businesses. And then build that engagement right from day one, build the true engagement with the customer, and then you'll be able to turn them into those great advocates you can get referrals from and everything else like we were talking about in the last episode. You can get links to everything we discussed, the full transcript of this episode, important notes and more at keepoptimizing.com. There you can also sign up for our monthly Q&A webinar because as part of my mission to help you improve your marketing, I invite all um, our guests each month back to join us for a live Q&A session. It's your chance to get your questions answered. So just go to keepoptimizing.com to find out all the details and sign up.
And thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Keep Optimizing podcast. If you've enjoyed the episode, then do check out our previous one that was uh, episode 68, which is all about getting referrals from those loyal customers to get those new customers in at the beginning. And please do tell your fellow marketers about the show because I want to help as many marketers as possible to improve the performance of their e-commerce marketing. Have a great week and make sure you listen to the next episode so I can help you to keep optimizing your marketing. Access everything Keep Optimizing at keepoptimizing.com. That's with an S, not a Z.